Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. I read this passage this morning, picking up from where John was a couple weeks ago. And, um, and uh, we took a Sunday to, to focus on the resurrection last week. And by the way, what a great man. Uh, that resonated with me through several days this week, just worshiping with you all on Resurrection Sunday. What a joy to worship with the people of God celebrating the truth of the resurrection. Amen. It's a great day. Every Sunday should be like that in a sense. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It really is, right? Anyways, I digress. Chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray. God, pray that you take your word this morning, plant it deep in our hearts. Encourage us, challenge us, God. We're the church. This is our history. This is our story. So use your word, these words penned on, by Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so many years ago, God, still have relevance and meaning for us today. It's a powerful word, your holy word. So speak to us through it today, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Signs and wonders. <laughs> this is a funny passage, the development of this sermon. I, I went from reading it early in the preparation phase, going, this is going to be the shortest message I ever preached, because how are you going to apply all of this, right? Signs and wonders, magic shadows, <laughs> right? Go home today and work on your shadow act, you know? Maybe you can get it where people can be healed by your shadow, right? It's like, how do you apply this? And, and I'm like, man, this is going to be short. And then, uh, man, the depth of God's word. This sermon actually has become two <laughs> um, over the course of this week. And so we're just going to focus really today on verse 12. Signs and wonders. It could be a little bit of an excursus, and we'll come back uh, next week to, to, the, to the narrative. But I want to talk about this. Signs are important. Signs matter. Uh, we've got some pictures here of some signs, maybe. There we go. Some signs. Right? Garbage only, no trash. I didn't know there was a difference between the two. Uh, I love that stop sign one. I would have no idea what I would do if I drove up to that stop sign. Initially, I'm like, oh, I guess you just back up. But if you look the third one down, even that's ruled out. So I guess you just sit there, you know. Uh, the right lane must right left. That bottom left-hand corner one, I just that, that makes my head hurt looking up to that. Imagine, Megan, as you're learning to drive, taking you up and say, just follow that sign, Mags. Um, Maggie would never drive again. Uh, the top left-hand corner, uh, what do you do <laughs> with that? Apparently, somewhere in our world, there's a problem with cows. <laughs> so beware. Beware. There's the confusing one-way signs. 
The top, of the top left-hand corner, that one I, it took me a second, but then I'm like, well, New Jersey, that makes some sense. Uh, but that's I-95, and if you look, I-95 West and I-95 East are both the next right. Um, and I'm like, okay. And then uh, my, this one over here was great, too. This is the back door. <laughs> the front door is around the back. <laughs> Signs. There was like, so, I could have had a lot of fun. It could have been a whole sermon just showing you these pictures of signs. Man, it is crucial that signs be clear and accurate. If they're not, it can lead to confusion, it can lead to uh, getting lost. And worst case scenario, it could lead to injury or even death. I remember hiking the Grand Canyon, and there's signs that say, stay away from this loose rock, 2,000-foot drop. I'm glad those signs gave warning about the loose rock at the edge, right? Um, It could lead to death. Signs have to be clear. Without confusion. Signs and wonders are uh, the obvious focus of this paragraph here in Acts chapter 5. So what do we do with this? How do we apply it today? The topic of signs and wonders has been a controversial one in evangelicalism over the years. And if we're honest, the topic of signs and wonders makes us, especially if we're raised as good Baptists, make us a little bit nervous and uncomfortable, right? Kind of quickly want to bury these accounts of signs and wonders and acts, just pass them off. It's something that happened then, but not for now. Part of that discomfort is well-founded. Because of the way these things have been abused in many settings over the years, right? Our mind goes to the televangelist or the faith healer, the fraudulent faith healer who proclaim a health and wealth gospel. It's been abused. I want to be very clear this morning. We read signs and wonders in Scripture. That is not what they are. That is not what they ever were. Those are abuses, and they should be soundly criticized and renounced, okay? They, they warp the gospel. They lead people astray. They're not good, clear signs. And we also know that we have many godly brothers and sisters who have different views on this, who are more measured and balanced in their views on these things, and they should not be lumped into those who've abused and exploited people, the practice and expectations of signs and wonders. Even within our own church family, we have different views on these things, so I trust that you are kind to each other today in Hub Group. Right? So how should we read, interpret, and apply this passage this morning? How should we think about signs and wonders? What are the expectations for us today? And now having raised all these questions, I'm going to turn it over to John Marco to come up and uh, answer them all. <laughs> no, I'll do it. We're going to do some theology here as we start. Is that all right? Um, one of the frustrating things when you come to passages like this, you remember your seminary days, and remember we spent two or three classes on signs and wonders, and you have Grudem's theology book, and you have Erickson's theology book, and it's like, oh, we could spend hours talking about this. We've got about 25 minutes. So this isn't going to be exhaustive, but I want to give us a framework of signs and wonders, and a biblical sense of signs and wonders. And I think if we begin to understand these biblically, we can see some very clear application points for us today. All right? Well, first of all, the church's signs should powerfully point people to Jesus. 
The church's signs should powerfully point people to Jesus. Again, this combination of words, signs and wonders, they often occur together, not only here in Acts, but really throughout Scripture. All right? Um, For the sake of simplicity and brevity this morning, I'm just going to focus on the signs part of that combination. But I at least want to say this, that when it's paired with the word wonder, that word wonder indicates the amazement, awe, and astonishment that often accompanies Signs, the manifestation of sign gifts. Grudem, in his theology book, has a great definition for us. He says, miracles or signs arouse people's awe and amazement and indicate that God's power is at work. Signs and wonders arouse people's awe and amazement and indicate that God's power is at work. So let's talk about signs and see if we can gain some things to bridge the context today and apply to our lives. One of the most significant things to say about signs is this. They direct and point to something beyond themselves. The point of a sign is never the sign itself. Even in Scripture, the point of the miracles were never the miracle in and of itself. Always in place to point to something or a reality beyond itself. So important. Right, uh, those who've been on wilderness trips and who are going uh, this summer on our wilderness trip, you'll you'll, you'll recognize a couple signs here. Uh, these look familiar to anybody who's been on a wilderness. Trip. Yep, yep. Bruno's that Scott. Um, this right here is one of the most important signs in Algonquin Park when you're navigating the park, um, because if you don't see these signs, they're they're bigger than this and they're waterproof and they're usually fastened to a tree in a prominent position that lets you know where the next trail is. If you didn't have these. Right, Terry? You're going to be pedaling around a park for a long time looking for the right way to go. These signs are a welcome sign, especially if you've been paddling on some of the big lakes. Like, I've been paddling for three hours. I want to know when I'm getting off this ride, <laughs> right? Uh, another important sign is at the end of the day, right? This is a welcome sign, right, Scott? Like, oh, this is where I'm sleeping tonight. Thank you for indicating where the campsite is. They're crucial, they point to something beyond them. They just hung these signs and no one was ever going. The, the moose aren't reading these. They don't care. <laughs> these are for people. So people know where to go and what to do. So signs matter in that regard. They point to something beyond themselves. One of the lexicon definitions of the word signs from Lo and Nida, uh, they, they write this, defining the word. And they use John's gospel as a, as a case study. For the gospel of John... A sign is not simply a miraculous event, but something which points to a reality with even greater significance. Signs in a context, such as John 2.23, may be rendered as a miracle with great meaning. So this is one of the most significant points we're going to make, this, make here this morning. What I want you to grasp, because our application is going to flow out of this understanding of the purpose of signs. We see the use of signs throughout Scripture. Going all the way back, the first place they really appear prominently is with Moses in Egypt and the whole interaction there with Pharaoh. Those were signs, right? Signs and wonders that were performed to validate Moses as a prophet speaking on behalf of God. Signs and wonders performed uh, in Egypt in order to demonstrate the power of God over and against Pharaoh and the Egyptian deities, right? So we see signs pointing to a reality beyond themselves. This wasn't for Moses and his glory. It wasn't a cool entertainment act. 
Right? This is the point to the authority and the power of God. When Moses said, let my people go, he's speaking on behalf of God. And here are the signs to demonstrate that I'm speaking authoritatively on behalf of God. This obviously continues through the New Testament. Certainly we've seen it in Acts already. Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, he refers to Joel too. Joel talks about signs. Peter picks up on this. The signs are evidence of the coming of the Spirit and the sign of the day of the Lord that indicates a seismic shift in redemptive history. So again, we see signs directing and forming and pointing to something beyond themselves. And this is huge in Acts. The inauguration of the new covenant, the gospel message, the shift into the new covenant, right? And, and one of the huge ones, the inclusion, inclusion of the Gentiles, Now, as the people of God, these were all significant shifts in redemptive history that God validated through signs. This is fascinating. The word signs is used 13 times between Acts 1 and Acts 15. In Acts 15, you recall, this is the Jerusalem Council, when they've gathered together to talk about the validity of the inclusion of Gentiles, and Paul is there defending his ministry and and presenting the arguments why the Gentiles now are included as the people of God. And in Acts 15, it says that he recounted all the signs that God had done among the Gentiles. James and Peter and the leaders, they hear this, and this leads them to draw the conclusion, yes, God is in fact at work among the Gentiles. We sign off on this. It is true. The Gentiles are now part of the people of God. What's fascinating to me is that the word signs never appears again in the book of Acts, Acts after Acts chapter 15. Now, there's still miracles, right? You have that, that snake bite on Malta that doesn't kill Paul. And, and in Acts uh, 19, Paul is said to be doing miracles. But I think there is a shift. After the Jerusalem council... And that's signed off on the need for these signs kind of diminishes a bit. And you see a shift. Now they're still there. And I'm not denying that. They're still there. And they're still, they're still important. But there's a shift to where gospel proclamation becomes now the primary means of conversion. And of people coming to Christ. I think there's a shift there in Acts. I think that's instructive for us. Obviously signs and miracles were a significant aspect of Jesus' ministry. Right? used to validate his claims as the Son of God. The Gospel writers emphasize this over and over again. The Gospel of John, John, really John's key word throughout his Gospel is the word sign. He uses it over and over and over again. And you see it very clearly in John chapter 2, verse 11, right? The turning of the water of the wine in Canaan. John says, this is the first of many signs that Jesus did. Acts 2, 22 in Peter's sermon, it confirms that the ultimate purpose of biblical signs was to point people to Jesus Christ himself. We see here at the, the end of, of John's gospel that not only were they to point people to Jesus Christ, but they were to point people to Jesus Christ with the end goal being that people put their faith and trust in Jesus, Right? And this is where some of the modern movements go astray, right? Science become this symbol of how great my ministry is. Science become a way that I can sell my most recent book. Science become a way that I get you to give more money to my ministry. This is never what science were intended to be about. Always about people putting their faith and belief and trust in Jesus Christ. John 20, 
Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these signs are written about so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 2.23, now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. On and on you could go, right? Nicodemus in John chapter 3, remember his conversation with Jesus? We know that you're from God because no man could do these signs unless God be with him. Nicodemus ultimately comes to faith. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, doesn't use the word sign, but what happens there? She runs into town. She says, come see a man who just told me everything I've ever done. <laughs> That's a sign. It normally doesn't happen. And they responded, and they come running out to the well, and there's a great harvest of souls. Again, we've reflected on this in Acts, the signs. This sign here in Acts 5, we talked about a few weeks ago, the healing of the lame man, where the religious authorities said this is a notable sign that has been done among us. We could go on and on. Philip in Acts 8, many signs of healing. People come to Christ. The paralytic and the residents of Lydda and Sharon in Acts 9.35. The raising of Tabitha in Acts 9 and the great response to the gospel there. Always about pointing people clearly to Jesus. In Matthew 9, you'll recall this event. They come across a blind man. Jesus is in his disciples, right? Remember this? The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned that this man be, made, uh, be born blind? His mom or his dad, and Jesus is like, neither one. This is done. So the miracle could occur. Why? So God could be glorified. This is what ultimately signs point to, right? They were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority when that man was healed. Signs ultimately bring glory to God. Not to a man, not to a ministry. Always to the glory of God throughout Scripture. Signs matter. They are crucial the signs that we hang out there, the way we live our lives, they matter. Are we clearly pointing people to Jesus? I'm doing a little bit of a nerdy thing right now. I'm watching this. I, I love airports. I've always loved airports. So I'm watching this uh, um, documentary type thing on the Dubai airport. It's called Ultimate Airport. It's one of the biggest airports in the world, and they keep expanding. And, but it's really cool because it's all this behind-the-scenes stuff, like what happens when a luggage conveyor brakes and the, the bottom of the airport and how they get the planes off on time and all that. I've been astounded at the amount of time in this, uh, they, they built this multi-billion dollar extension to the Dubai airport just to house the big airbuses, the, the big two-decker ones, and it's exclusively what flies in and out of that terminal. They've dedicated so much time in, the, in talking about the construction of it to the importance of the signs. So much so where one of the, ruling, the royalty, uh, the, uh, one of the royal family members has to come in and has to approve of the airport in, in the signs. They bring in 800 people before the airport uh, opens for the, the sole purpose of navigating the airport to understand if the signs are confusing or if they're clear. Like this emphasis on signs. They get it. They understand that signs matter. If people are confused and they go to the wrong terminal, they're late for their flights, the airline loses money, everything hinges on clear signage in an airport. If that matters in an airport, it matters here that clear signage is put in place that point people to Jesus Christ. Here's another point. That's significant. It helps us bridge the gap. Signs in Scripture can include both 
the natural and the supernatural. Now in context, in the book of Acts, almost exclusively when we read about signs happening, it's almost always the miraculous, the supernatural. But it's not always true in Scripture, and it's not always true in Luke's writing. The very uh, famous one that we, that we read, Luke chapter 2. Right? Here's an instance in Scripture of a sign not being a supernatural thing, but being very common. After the, the angels appear to the, the shepherds, they tell them to go to Bethlehem. And what do they say? This will be a sign to you. You'll see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's not a supernatural thing. But it's something that's pointing. This is how you're going to know. It's a sign. There's a non-supernatural example. There are other places in Luke uh, where there's storms and and things, uh, natural disasters that function as signs. Acts 4.16, the healing of the layman, there's your example of a miraculous sign. But here's a really interesting passage, too, that helps clarify our thinking on this. This is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Paul is writing, and he writes this, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. I would suggest here that Paul is referring both to the natural and the supernatural. He adds the category of the supernatural to the natural. The sign of the apostle, and Paul emphasizes this a lot. Part of the signs of a true apostle was just simply godly living. His example, one of the things he hammers on is his endurance, his willing to keep going, his lifestyle, his speaking of truth. These characterize true apostles, and Paul makes this argument over and over again. And I think that's why here he says, you saw my life, the way I live, that's a sign of a true apostle. And on top of that, you saw the supernatural. So the natural and the supernatural, both were signs. Both are signs, right? And last here, miraculous signs are not the driving force that bring people to salvation. If you're like me, sometimes you, you can read Acts and think a little bit, this isn't fair. Right? How fr- like, of course people came to Jesus during that time. I mean, if we had spectacular works here, if after the service Marco walks outside and I could put my sick kid in his shadow and he get better, like, how cool is that? Of course people are going to come and get saved. Man, God, you're just not fair. We got like a gym. They had signs. <laughs> Yo, if only you did this for us. That's faulty thinking, right? Even in Scripture, many didn't believe in spite of the signs. John 12, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe. Right? Still didn't believe. Acts 3, this is Stephen and his message. Acts 3, he talks about Moses. He's, he's, he's comparing the people. He's telling the Israelites, he says, you guys have always been the same way. You've always been the same way. You've ignored Jesus' signs. You did it all the way back in Moses' time. You saw the, the plagues in Egypt, the death of the firstborn. You, you saw the Red Sea open up, and you walked across on dry land, and then all of Egypt's army gets buried underwater and defeated. And, and then you get to Sinai, and you see the power and glory of God on top of the mountain, so much so that you are fearful of it. And then Moses takes too long, and then what happens? You ask for cows to be built so you can worship them instead. <laughs> it says, right, they turn their hearts back towards Egypt. Stephen's saying, the signs didn't matter to you. <laughs> you ignored them. So signs are not the slam dunk avenue of faith. 
Jesus knew this. This is why sometimes he refused to give signs. Because the problem would be, right, if, sometimes if a sign is what brings someone to faith, they're just going to need more signs to stay there. Right? This is the problem of the feeding of 5,000. Not the problem. Obviously, that was good. But this is what the, some of the people wanted, and Jesus knew that. You just, you're just concerned about your stomachs. I'm going to have to feed you again and again and again. When I start, stop feeding you, you're going to walk away. So signs are insufficient in and of themselves. This is, this is I never put this together before. John 20, 29 through 31. The first verse there, 29, this is the, the end of the account of Jesus and Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas? He was the one disciple who wasn't there at Jesus' initial appearance. And so John records this where he finally does catch up and they're all talking about the resurrected Christ and Thomas is like, I don't believe it. Unless I, unless I touch his hand, unless I see him and touch his hand and put my hand into his side, I, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus appears and he says to Thomas, go ahead, Thomas, I hear you, I hear you, touch my hand, put your, put your hand on my side. And Thomas declared, my Lord and my God, and, and he believes. And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The concluding verses of John come right after that. Now Jesus did, we already read this, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's fascinating to me that what John is implying here is that the written record of these signs will be enough. He didn't say, signs are going to continue so that you'll believe. He's like, I've recorded the signs, and, and Jesus backs it up. He says, hey, there's going to be a generation that's going to come. It's not going to see everything I did. You're blessed. Hey, he's talking to us. You're blessed. You don't need the signs. You have the word of God. That, 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 that communicates us the efficiency of the word of God, or the sufficiency of the word of God, the power here. Not necessary. In fact, Jesus condemned people who demanded a sign on multiple occasions, right? An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given. <laughs> Matthew 16. So Jesus left them and departed. <laughs> I'm not giving you a sign. In fact, I'm just leaving because you don't believe in me. Oftentimes the signs came when people honestly were seeking him. Oftentimes the sign came in response to faith. The woman who reached out and touched Jesus' garment because she believed. What did Jesus say to her? Your faith has made you whole. The centurion, Jesus was amazed and Jesus says he's amazed at his faith. He says, go home. Your servant's healed. Right? The miracle is done in response to faith. That's the most significant thing here, right? So how do we bridge this context from Acts to Today. Again, understanding that signs and wonders and acts do mostly refer to the miraculous and supernatural. Let me make a couple points. We are also capable of performing powerful signs. Now again, take what we just talked about and bring it into this. Right? Signs point to something beyond ourselves. I can do that. That's part of our mission in the world. My life, the way I live my life, should point to something beyond me. It's not about me. Signs can be supernatural and natural. I can handle that natural part. Right? So it's not too big of a jump then to say, well, we're, we're capable of performing powerful signs. And here's one of the, the primary passages I would look at. Uh, and by the way, I, I believe that the way the community of faith and acts conducted themselves also was a powerful sign. 
I think you have the signs of the apostles and these powerful things. But the way they cared for the poor and the way they cared for another, you better believe that caught the attention of the world around them. That was a sign. They worked together to bring people to Christ, right? But here's why I say this. We're capable of performing powerful signs. 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's a sign. The way I conduct myself in the world is a sign that points. The world may not like my message, but they, point, they have to look at me and go, this, you're different. Why are you different? That's a sign. One of our prayers, is, as we've done life with uh, our youngest son, is that through his, his needs and as we interact with a community we would not have normally interacted with before he came into our family, that God would use us, that we'd have opportunities in that community. And Kathy was talking to one of Ty's teachers not too long ago, and, the te- and Kathy was bringing something up. Miss Megan. was talking to Miss Megan, right? He sat up. Yeah. And Kathy went to talk to her, and Megan said something along the lines of this, like, I knew I could bring it up with you guys because you, you guys are different. But that's not because we're great. But I, I loved hearing that because we've just tried to live Jesus before them, and, and, and they've taken notice of that. That's a sign. I can do that. You can do that. Titus chapter 2, verse 10 speaks of adorning the gospel. My actions adorn the gospel. Colossians 4, 5, Paul writes, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Why? Because the way I walk towards outsiders communicates something about the reality of my faith and the presence of Jesus Christ in my life. That's a sign. John 13, Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love each other. Christian love towards one another, it's weird. It's uncommon. We live in a selfish, pragmatic world. Me, 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 me. When Christians love as Jesus, that screams something to the world. That makes the world go, wait a minute. That's a sign. Right? I can do that. We had our sewage flood in our house years ago when we were in Bulgaria and it, it blew up down in our house and some of our neighbors um, I don't know if you remember this but our, our 1829 class organized uh, a thing and they were going around asking for money and in two services, I don't even remember how it was it was a few thousand dollars our, our church family handed to us so they help, this helps and you know we're talking with our neighbors about these things and the entrance and, and they're like how, how are you able to do this so fast and this, this, this and this and we're like well part of it is our church family gave us this much money, and they're just like, whoa, like, wow, we wish we had a church, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but I love that, I'm like, this, this is what people of God do, this is the love of Christ, that's a sign, and people noticed that, so here's the question I have for you, what signs are you hanging, what signs are you putting out there? Some of you are putting out confusing signs because you say, I live this. You say, Jesus matters. You say this, this, and this. And then people look at the signs and they're like, that doesn't match. What signs are you putting out there? Are they clear? Are they concise? Are they leading people away from danger into Jesus? Are you adorning the gospel? Greg? 
Craig, you're ignoring the issue or miraculous signs for today. I told you John's going to talk about that later. No. Uh, let me say this to you. And I'll unpack it a little bit and we'll close. This is probably a bad sentence. If you're a grammar police type person, ignore this. I, I, it seems like some run on or something here, but maybe not. The church should handle its business as faithfully as possible and let God handle his in his way and in his time in accordance with his purposes. I believe that Luke's already given us a key in the book of Acts that unlocks this whole thing for us. And I think it's in that prayer in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 30. Remember this? We were here a few weeks ago. This is the prayer after Paul and John, uh, or Peter and John, were arrested with the lame man. And then they were released. They came back. And this was part of the prayer that the church prayed. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's our signs while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is the key right here that grants us understanding in this whole area in the relationship of signs. Here's my summary. I point as best I can through the signs of my life, right, First Peter, and through faithful and bold gospel proclamation. The supernatural is God's area and God's domain. And if, as I proclaim truth and boldly proclaim it, God chooses to stretch out his hand and work and do something incredible in order to demonstrate his people and draw people to himself, that's his business. And he will do that if he deems it necessary. I do believe that there are settings in world, in our world, in times in our world, especially uh, acts-like settings where maybe there's little to no gospel witness. And I believe that in these times that God sometimes does intervene in astounding ways to draw people to himself. But that's not my concern. My concern is to commit to living out my faith in real and tangible ways, clear signs, and let God do whatever he will do. It is not up to a man to dictate to God how and when he acts. God's signs aren't a, a, a pony show for me to validate my ministry and our church. No, no, no. That's an abuse of that. God will act, and I believe he does. I've heard too many stories. I've heard stories on the mission field. I was in Turkey and heard stories. Someone who came to Christ by an astounding way. Hey, that's great. But that's different than what we see the abuse of, right? Even Jesus understood this. Right? Remember the temptation? Jesus, hey, jump off this temple. Let, all the, let everyone see that. Je- Jesus himself understood. No, no, no. Signs are done in the Father's time for his purposes. And for Jesus to have done that in the moment would have been an abuse of a sign. Jesus got this. Hmm. If you see a sign, someone claims their sign, okay. What, what did it point to? And, and if, if someone says, this is how I came to Christ, and God did this, I saw this, this someone, God miraculously healed my so-and-so in the hospital, and, but man, it made me think about, I, praise God, okay? <laughs> how awesome is that, that God worked in that way? I'm not going to sit here and go, ah, I don't know, that may have been a demon. <laughs> no, praise the Lord. That's not my place to seek that and to ask. I'm going to ask God, I'm going to proclaim the gospel, you do what you need to do to draw people to yourself. That's what this is about, Right? We're going to talk next week. We're going to finish this. So, um, and that was kind of my intent as this unfolded. But um, I'll give you these last two blanks. I'm going to ask 
our worship team to come up. And um, this is a key one that we're going to talk about next week. My least favorite airports in the world is De Gaulle in Paris. There's multiple reasons I don't like that airport. Scott's going to know where I'm going with that. I like, like one time, for instance, we're there and we're going through, you know, uh, passport control. And they're like, where are you going? And I said, Bulgaria. And the guy's like, Bulgaria? I, what, what? And you look at Bulgaria. And I'm like, Bulgaria. So where are you? I don't know. What, what country are you going to? I'm like, Bulgaria. I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't. Is there, is there a French word here that I'm missing? I don't, and finally, it seemed like it went on for like three or four minutes. Finally, the guy goes, oh, Bulgaria. I'm like, it sounds, really? You know, so there's multiple reasons. But, but one of them, too, this just, it was in that same, that same time, so I'm just annoyed anyway. We're a little bit late. We had this big group, and we're going through, and uh, there's the sign. Such and such gates that way. And so our group was going, and, and this airport representative, she's like, no, come follow me this way. And it's the opposite direction. And I'm like, but the sign, she's like, yeah, that's a terrible sign. She's like, this is actually the better way. I'm like, well, just move the sign, <laughs> you know? But, but I just thought about that as we're preparing that. There was a sign that was leading people in a direction that wasn't best. Where are your signs pointing? Is your life clearly pointing to Jesus, or is your sign confusing? Gospel writers, the apostles, were very clear. Right? And they were very clear it wasn't about them. How many times did someone bow down and worship? Peter's like, knock it off. Don't worship me. I'm a man. Worship God. Are your signs pointing that way? 